Welcome to the Faith in Maine podcast. I'm Katie Clark, your host. We are sharing stories of life and faith and ministry across our 58 churches, 18 summer chapels, Camp Bishopswood, three Jubilee centers, and ministries that make up the Episcopal Diocese of Maine. In this podcast episode, we complete our series on the themes of Listen, Connect, Adapt, and Hope. All themes selected by Bishop Brown for us in the Episcopal Church in Maine to focus on over the next year. This episode, we focus on the theme of hope with a conversation with the Reverend James Hazelwood, Bishop of the New England Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Hazelwood has served as Bishop of the New England Synod since 2012. Previously, he served as pastor of St. Andrew's Lutheran Church in Charleston, Rhode Island, and Bethany Lutheran Church in Brooklyn, New York. He holds degrees from California Lutheran University, Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary, and Fuller Theological Seminary. Before becoming bishop of the New England Synod, Hazelwood was an ice cream scooper, a disc jockey, a professional photographer, and a parish pastor. Enjoy the conversation with Bishop Hazelwood. Welcome to the Faith in Maine podcast. We have a very special guest today, Bishop James Hazelwood, who is the Bishop of the New England Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, is our guest today. Before becoming Bishop of the New England Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, Bishop was an ice cream scooper, a disc jockey, a professional photographer, and a parish pastor. So my first question has to be, which of those prior to becoming Bishop was your favorite? I think um, probably I'll, I'll answer that in that professional photographer prepared me to be a Bishop better than any of the others. Because when you're a professional photographer, if you're doing portraits, like say a family portrait on the beach, or you're doing a wedding or anything, or, or even photographing a, a, an up and coming rock group or rap group, depending, you're dealing with people. And what bishops do more than anything else is interact with people. And so um, if I can tame a testy, persnickety, you know, rock and roll band manager and the mother of the bride or the mother of the groom or the father of the bride, I can be a bishop. That's all you need. And then a little theological training thrown in. Well, and of course, I also have to ask an ice cream scooper, which is your favorite flavor? Oh, I, I worked at Baskin Robbins, 31 Flavors, um, and uh, Jamocha Almond Fudge um, is definitely my favorite. Now I'm probably a mint chip guy. That sounds great. <laughs> Especially on a summer day. So we're delighted to have you on the podcast today. We're continuing along in our series talking about themes that Bishop Brown chose for his convention address last fall, which were listen, connect, adapt, and hope. Uh, 
So first, let's talk about scripture. So could you share with us some scriptural references where hope is important or a particular scripture um, passage that speaks to you about hope? Well, for me, um, I kind of have this sense that we need to tie hope to lament. I think that it's a both and. I don't think we can have hope without acknowledging the lament or the grief. And the reason I say that is hope without the other side of the equation becomes very Pollyanna, very happy, happy, happy. Um, and I don't think that that's the kind of hope that biblical folk are about. So for me, uh, two scriptures come to mind. Um, one is the Psalms. Um, and the Psalms, I think, I think we have missed an opportunity in preaching in the church. Um, we don't preach on the Psalms very often. Um, and actually, the lectionary does not necessarily help us because the lectionary, as I believe it was Walter Brueggemann pointed out, the lectionary tends to lean heavy on the Psalms of joy, but is weak um, on the Psalms of lament. And so I wonder if there can be a reclaiming of the preaching of the Psalms. And the Psalms are a great balance, or maybe a better word is they hold the tension of lament and hope together. Um, and another, another favorite passage of mine that I always is my go-to is Jacob wrestling with the angel in Genesis, because I think that we are in wrestling times. I think that we are worship a wrestling God. And I think that uh, many um, honest, maturing Christians are in a wrestling match. Um, and the blessing that comes out of that for Jacob is also the blessing that can come out of it for us. So all, all that is to say, I like to hold those things together, um, lament and hope, or wrestling and hope or blessing. In keeping with that sort of wrestling uh, theme, talk a little bit about what you feel the role hope, right? And maybe it's hope and lament together or hope and grief together. What role does that play at this moment in the church? Well, I think a lot of people are feeling on an emotional and an intellectual level, a sense of hopelessness. And I could go down the long list of reasons for that, but I think anybody listening to this podcast already knows them. Um, and I think that that sense of hopelessness is worth paying attention to as opposed to running from. Um, we in the church, Lutheran church, Episcopal church, Methodist, so forth and so on, we decided somewhere around just after World War II uh, that our model for ministry was going to be based on a congregational parish model that had a committee structure and that we were going to measure the ABCs. And if we did well in the ABCs, then that meant that we were doing God's work. And the ABCs are attendance, buildings, and cash. 
or what Kelly Fryer, who's a Lutheran theologian, summarizes it as butts and bucks. Um, and you could add bricks to that as well, I suppose. Um, and we, we said to ourselves, look, if the attendance is doing well, if the building is, is you know, healthy enough, and the grounds are nicely groomed and the cash is, you know, rolling in at some appropriate level, then that means we're being faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And we said that, and we trained several generations that that's how we do church. So now we come to a post-Christendom time where those measurements, nobody wants to talk about those measurements because those measurements are not going well in all of not just Christian, actually, in all institutional expressions of spirituality in North America or in United States sports particularly. And so, but we said to the generation that's still in our churches, well, we trained you that way. And now they look at us and say, well, now you want to change all the rules and measurements. And we're starting to say, yeah. So we're, we're having to recalibrate who we are and what's important. And I think we're not there as to figuring out what's important for us. And I think that that's a core part of our struggle. We don't know what we're doing in a certain sense. And so there's lots of flailing and, and there's lots of finger pointing and lots of blaming. But I think at the heart of it is we're trying to figure out, and I think what we need to go back to, and this is where I ultimately see the hope, is we've got to ask ourselves, what is the calling to be a faithful follower of Christ? What does that mean? for me personally, individually, and collectively. And I think that that's, that's our greatest challenge right now. In the communications world where I sit, it's been interesting and sort of in that lament theme, so much, I would say, grief and lamenting when those ABCs get pulled out from under you in the pandemic how to manage attendance when people can't actually go into a building, what to do when the building is actually closed, right? And such a, we would, we would note that we would observe folks on a continuum between grief and opportunity. And sometimes going back and forth on the same day between, oh, oh no, what do we do? Oh, maybe this is an opportunity. So as you were saying, lament and hope, grief and opportunity. That's something that we had observed. An interesting thing as you were talking about the state of the church, and this is a question that we have talked about with uh, bishops Brown and McVeigh, Brown and Hirschfeld uh, of the Episcopal Diocese of Maine, Vermont and New Hampshire. Being a bishop, in this sort of New England and for us, Northern New England area is a unique thing because this is one of the more unchurched areas of the country per statistics. How do you feel about that being a bishop in this area of the country, which you know statistics and demographics say is, is unchurched or moving away from being churched? Yeah, or de-churched or, or whatever. Um, well, I personally sit comfortably with it because that's my background. I did not grow up in the Christian church. I was baptized when I was 21. My road into Christianity and in the Lutheran church in particularly is a long and winding one that could be uh, maybe another podcast for another time. I understand because it's still a part of who I am 
in many ways, you know, how you never leave your childhood. I understand the perspective of non-church folk. And so, um, so I sit with it personally rather comfortably. And I also sit in the church a little uncomfortably around some of the ways in which we posture ourselves, because I know how people that are outside of church world um, hear some of those things. The other thing I want to say is collectively, as Lutherans in New England, we're even more of a minority because Lutherans in New England, people go, what's that? You know, if you're in other parts of the country, parts of Pennsylvania or parts of upper Midwest, you know, there are, there are more Lutherans than cows. And so it's a, kind of a dominant uh, religion. But here in New England, people don't know what that is as a general rule. And I've tried to encourage our folks to see that as opportunity uh, rather than as a lament for that. I mean, again, it's both. But it's opportunity because you can't assume that people know and understand who you are and what you stand for. So we get a chance to kind of, you know, define ourselves. Having said all of that, it is really hard. I mean, really hard to do ministry in New England, no matter what brand, whether you're a Chevy, a Buick, or a Toyota. I mean, there is cultural resistance to Christianity. Some of it is legitimate because of some of the abuses that other traditions and our own, but it's been more in the news um, in the past. Um, it's hard because of kind of Yankee independence, libertarianism, which I think a lot of New Englanders like, but also, boy, that independence is really hard if you just want to talk about an established community. So it, we should not play that down. These, this is a challenging place to do ministry, and it is not unusual. I don't know what your experience in the Episcopal Church is like, but in our experience, we have people that come from other parts of the country to serve in our churches. I'm thinking particularly of our, our pastors or deacons, and a lot of them don't make it. A lot of them go back to wherever it was that they're because of the culture is so, so different. Others stay and like it and thrive. Um, and find a, a certain zest for it. But uh, we should not underestimate the fact that um, it's hard to do ministry uh, in New England in a unique way that I think we're all trying to figure out how we're going to do it currently and going forward. So how do we cultivate hope? We always ask at the end of this podcast, give us some homework or give us some action steps. How can we get better and more comfortable in cultivating that feeling or, or that even that practice of hope? Well, I think that uh, two answers to that. One is um, each person needs to find that hope within themselves. I think there's an inner landscape to be explored around that question that I think is very profound. You know, the old adage of you can't give what you don't have. Um, so I think that there is uh, finding that hope within, which I think is nestled in the soul. I think it's nestled in, in our connection with the sacred and with God. The second thing I think that we've started to emphasize collaboration in the New England Synod. And, the idea that congregations are islands and can do ministry and can just, you know, 
have a dynamic person and then open the doors and people will come, even if you advertise on the internet, all that kind of stuff. That That's just, that's just not real. That's not happening. Um, but we need to collaborate. So uh, finding out who your partners are. So a couple of really quick stories. One of our congregations in Connecticut has reached out to schools in the area and they have gone and met, they just called up and said, you know, we'd like to come in and see how we can help you. That's the shift. The shift is not, how can we get your students to come to our church? The shift is how can our church help you in your work as a school? And so in different places in Connecticut, that's manifesting itself in just the pastor bringing backpacks in. As an initial entree, they adopted a class, um, and they will then go through that class as it grows and doing various things for them. Another place the church discovered in its relationship with the local schools that they were the center, geographic center, and what the need in the community from the school's point of view was not for after-school care, but before school care. So now they're working out where parents drop the kids at the church. The church has a before-school care center, and then the school system takes care of transporting the kids to the local um, school. Uh, Other places, like I'm thinking another one of our churches the pastor has connected broadly um, with Jewish community, Islamic community, local Buddhist community. They now do a Bible study where they have 100 participants in it, and their leadership rotates between various, between the Episcopal priest, the Lutheran, Methodist, two Jewish rabbis, that kind of a thing. Um, you could not get 100 people from just any one of any of those congregations. Now there's a fascination with how different people would see, let's go back to the Jacob wrestling with the angel story. How is that understood from various traditions? So I think collaboration is, is I think it's where it's at. I think it's our greatest opportunity. People always say, yes, but will that bring people into our pews? You know, it might, it might not. We have seen places where it has, and we have seen places that are doing very effective ministry and it hasn't. I think that that is less and less the point. Uh, are, are we getting the bucks and the butts in the pews? But the point is now, how can we collaborate to make a difference in the world? Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today, Bishop Hazelwood. And talking about hope, on the podcast. If people want to learn more about you, where can they find you online? I have a website. It's jameshazelwood.net, as in internet. Um, Also, I write a, is at least once a month, sometimes twice a month, uh, Substack newsletter. And if you go to that website, you can see it. um, And uh, if you want to test it out, it's, there's no cost, it's free. And I write a lot about the intersection of depth psychology and religion and how those two things have an opportunity to learn from one another and how they can then impact uh, the world for, for good. Thank you for listening to the Faith in Maine podcast brought to you by the Episcopal Diocese of Maine. If you like this podcast, please leave a review and rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, That helps us spread God's word even further. Thank you.